to Season 2 of Granite State Golfers with Micah. I am an avid amateur golfer in New Hampshire. This podcast dives into the stories of the top amateur golfers in my home state. We are about to tee off. Please join me. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well. This will be my last episode of the year wrapping up season two. When I started this podcast last year, I did not know where it might go or how many episodes I would publish, but it turns out there are a lot of good golfers in New Hampshire, so on we go. I will be back for season three in the new year, and I welcome any suggestions you have for golfers I should have on the show. We wrap up this year with Scott Hacker. Scott played successfully on some mini tours and for the past dozen years or so has been a golf instructor. I met Scott earlier this year and had the good fortune of playing several times with him. I learned a lot from Scott and am excited to share my conversation with him. This is a long episode. Part one covers his early years in golf and his progression into professional golf. Part two covers the mental approach to golf. As we head into the off season in New Hampshire, I thought it might be helpful to get some insights from Scott on how we can improve our mental game as we plan for next season. Thanks for listening and sharing with us with your friends. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Scott. Hi, Scott. Welcome to Granite State Golfers, and thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Where did you grow up, and when did you start playing golf? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in southwest Michigan in a small village town called Marcellus, which is a little bit southwest of Kalamazoo, Michigan. And... You know, I, I like to think I got a knack for making a swing when I was a really young boy. My dad used to come home from work and he would kind of pitch underhand to me, like real soft and easy. And I got a knack for making a swing and hitting the ball. And I hit home runs from peanut league all the way through high school. Um, you know, so I, I always kind of had the swing action. I just had to change it into a golf swing as I got into my 20s. And did you, so you played baseball growing up. Did you play golf when you were a kid? Very little, you know, the the high school or the school that I grew up in, the school district, we had just the basics. We had, you know, football, baseball, basketball, and track and field. You know, we we didn't have things like hockey and wrestling and golf and some of the other sports that, you know, we have today. Um, but, you know, there was one family in our town who that I was aware of that played golf, and I happened to be friends with their son, and they would take me with them sometimes when they went and played golf. And, you know, I... Um, I didn't have a problem with catching the ball solidly. I was able to do that right away, but it took me a long time to get control of the club base and the swing path and all of that. Yeah. What, uh, what position did you play in baseball? So uh, second base and I was a relief pitcher and I would jump around a little bit um, in the field. Um, you know, I played third base sometimes, but you know, my best thing was hitting the ball. I, I could hit the ball. I wasn't that great in the field, honestly, but uh, yeah, I, I could really hit the ball. So you didn't play your, so your high school did not have a golf team. So you didn't play much golf in during your high school years. No, very little. In fact, I mean, I can point to maybe, you know, on one hand, how many, how many rounds of golf. And in fact, those were probably just nine hole rounds. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get into golf until after I graduated high school. Um, I had gotten into a softball league and a golf league. So I was kind of doing both of those simultaneously, you know, kind of right around 19, 20 years old. Uh, and then it turned out, you know, uh, I had an uncle who played quite a bit of golf and he and I connected and we started playing a lot of golf. Uh, and I just really got bitten by the bug, you know, when he and I would go out and play and, 
um, played a lot of recreational golf between 20 and 25 years old. Um, and so that's that's really where I, I got exposed to the game. Okay. And at that point, 20 to 25, were you still living in Michigan then? Yeah, I was actually. And I was working um, in, in the trades, uh, working for a uh, machine company. It's like a machine fabricating company. And, and But back in that time, that's when uh, the computerized versions of the machines were coming on. And I was, uh, you know, just getting into... Um, you know, learning how to program the machines and set them up and run them and uh, all the prototypes and that kind of thing. So it, it was really good work for me at the time. When did you decide, you know, when did golf get more serious for you and at what point and how old were you when you decided that you wanted to turn professional? So you start playing a lot in your early to mid 20s. And then what was that next evolution where golf became even more serious in your life? Yeah. So good question. So it's it's interesting because I had this like epiphany moment when I was in my mid twenties. Um, you know, I was working a lot of hours. I was making great money. Um, it was a stressful job. You know, I, I there was it, it was uh, wasn't uncommon to work twelve hours a day and ten hours on Saturday and ten hours on Sunday. So it was a seven day. You know, uh, it, it was uh, it was a lot of work. And I would come home fried, you know, and, and sit on the couch and pass out and wake up and do it all over again. So that was my life for a long time and. And I realized in my mid twenties that uh, I was missing something. You know, I I wasn't living somehow, and I was really passionate about golf at the time. And I really kind of believed in my ability to to actually go do it. I, I uh, was talking to a couple of friends of mine who were um, they were talking about moving to Florida, and they were both golfers. And uh, of course, this piqued my interest because I had been thinking about doing the same thing, leaving Michigan and going to pursue a golf career and just kind of getting out of the trades and trying to pursue something that was more in alignment with my passion. And so when they started talking about moving down there, we all had a big conversation ab about it. And uh, back in, uh, I guess it was October of 2000, we, we all packed it up and, and moved down to the panhandle of Florida. Wow. All right. So you get to Florida and what's your... What are your first couple steps to begin to get more into golf? Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I got a job at a golf course down there working a couple of days a week, which got me sort of free access to the golf course. So I was able to play and practice a lot. And I remember I had picked up an evening job um, serving tables actually at a Cajun restaurant so I could have my days open uh, to, to play and practice. And um, I signed up to play on an amateur tour to get my competitive experience. You know, I, I was, this is obviously a very non-traditional path about, you know, gaining uh, tournament experience. But um, there was a uh, there was a uh, a scratch tour down there. It was called the Gulf Coast Scratch Tour. And it was a two day event held on the weekends. And um, there were two events a month and it was throughout the whole summer and it was relatively affordable. And it was just a perfect way to get tournament experience. So that, that's how I kind of got launched into it. And at that point, what was the state of your game? What kind of handicap would have you had at playing when you were playing in those events? Yeah. So when I signed up for my first event, it actually was at my home course. And uh, at the time, I was shooting probably in the upper 70s, low 80s. Uh, but I will say that, uh, as you know, uh, tournament golf is a lot different than recreational golf. And even at my home course in my first tournament, you know, you, you realize that um, the tournament golf course is set up quite a bit different than it is for regular play. And the greens are faster and they're firmer and your chips don't check up like you think and expect. And I think I went out and shot 91, 93 in my first in my first event. So it was uh, 
thankfully I didn't come in last place because that, that would have been mortifying, but, uh, it was, it was a good way though, to get started into it. Um, having, um, having gotten to know you this year and playing some golf with you, I, I know how much you enjoy competitive golf. So we'll, we'll get into that. So you start playing in this scratch tour. How long did it take where your score started getting down into, I don't know, the mid or low seventies where you start being competitive in that amateur at that amateur circuit? Yeah. So it was a, it was a couple of years. It, it, it takes a couple of years really to put at a minimum. And this is, if you're really working at it, uh, to, to put a real tournament game together, to go from shooting in the, in the low nineties down into like, uh, the, the mid to upper seventies, it, it takes a while. Um, you know, there's just so much to learn with, um, learning the mental game, of course, but also just learning your own game. You know, there is just so many dynamics to go into it. So, you, you know, it takes the patience of a God to, to really, and it takes a lot of work to, to really, uh, go through the whole thing and make sure that you've got a tournament game. Um, I, I think it was my third season where, uh, I was playing in an event and after the first day I had shot 71 and was in a tie for first place, uh, with, with one of my playing partners, actually, he and I both had shot 71. So we were paired together again the next day. And, um, as tournament golf goes, as you're on the learning curve, right, I'm coming into the last hole and I, I think I'm right up in it with them. And, uh, I think I made a big number on the last hole to come in fifth place, but still I, I, that was great for me. I think there was like 80 players in the field and to come in fifth place, uh, blowing up on the last hole. I, I felt like it was a building block. It was a step forward. It's just, you have to learn how to win. And oftentimes that means closing it out on the stretch. And during these years of playing in these amateur tournaments, did you have your, your hopes and was your golf dream and trajectory that you knew you wanted to turn professional? Yes, absolutely. Um, I was so focused on that. I knew I wanted to play competitive golf. Um, you know, the big dream, I think everybody has a big dream and, and really, I remember leaving Michigan thinking no matter what happens here, I'm not going to regret anything I'm, I'm about to go do. I'm going to give it my best. And um, I, I think at the time I was thinking I'd give myself five years. And let's just reassess and reevaluate where you are in five years. And do you feel like you you know have a chance going forward? And, um, and, and of course, the answer was yes to that. I, I actually had um, I, I felt really good about myself and about my game and my trajectory. And, and uh, um, after, after amateur golf. So, uh, I, I actually ended up having a really good opportunity to move from Florida to, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, started working for a couple of really high end golf courses there. And, uh, obviously still keep working on my game. And, um, it, it took me seven years, actually, it was 2007. So I started in 2000, it was 2007 where I started feeling confident enough to sign up at the most minor league level, uh, as, as a professional. And I remember, um, I remember a lot of my friends who were actually better than golfers than I was at the time. They would jump in over their heads in tournaments that they just weren't ready for, and they would get demoralized when they'd missed the cut, and they just had to learn how to win. Um, so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to start at the bottom and work my way up. And these these little tournaments, these little mini tour events, it was like a one seventy five entry fee, one hundred seventy five dollar entry fee for a chance to win a thousand, fifteen hundred, sometimes up to three thousand, depending on how many people were in the field. And uh, in 2007, I won three times my first year. Wow. Now, now I say that, you know, I was just shooting like 71s, you know, on tough days. 
uh, you know, tough weather days, you, if you really gut it out and you hang in there, um, oftentimes uh, when the weather's tough, some of the better players kind of come back to you a little bit and it kind of levels the playing field. So, um, you know, if you just hang in there and gut it out, you can, you can actually, you know, you can actually pull off a win. So that really encouraged me and kept me going and just kind of, I just kept moving forward from there. So three victories your first year. And then I, I think I was reading on, on your website that you picked up, I think four more victories, right? Do I have it right that you won, you ended up winning seven times? That's correct. Yes. Yep. I had jumped up to the next level and won once at that level. It was, um, I remember it was a two day event down in, um, Southern Florida, it was uh, $5,000 for first place, which I won in a playoff. It was a five-hole playoff, and that was just what a feeling. What a drive home, you know, you can imagine. And then there's always a bunch of side game money that you win as, as a bonus. And and so, um, but, uh, you know, and then I won a couple of other small minor league events. So uh, that's that's about where I topped out. And at what point did, did you, so you've accumulated some victories. Are you trying to assess are you going to keep grinding it out at that level? Or did you, did you think that you could get to the next tour level or what were you thinking after a few of these victories? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it really gives you a surge of confidence and belief, inner belief that you can really do this. Um, I, I remember um, when I got out there and I started realizing that I can really play with these guys, you know, it really sets in with you that there's, there's really a chance here, you know, and just to keep signing up and keep putting, putting yourself in you know, um, there are lots of, I can tell you lots of top fives and tens where I was in contention coming down the stretch and, you know, you kind of, you lose it sometimes coming down the stretch where you could have won, but you know, you end up coming third, fourth or fifth. And, and so, you know, the potential and the hope really kind of keeps you moving forward and, and, uh, and, and pushing yourself. Now at this point, when you're, you're down in Atlanta, you're playing on some mini tours, you're picking up some W's. Are you teaching at this point or has that not happened yet? Uh, I started teaching around 2012. Um, you know, I was working as a professional caddy uh, up until that point. And I really thought it would be wise of me to um, try to find another way to create a, a revenue stream in, in, and continue on doing the game I love in the event that it didn't work out on the playing side of it. And so, um, you know, I went through a program. I got certified as an instructor and started teaching uh, kind of off and on. You know, it was sort of a not all the time thing. It was a very supplemental thing to do, but I, I wanted to just kind of slowly work my way into um, offering lessons. And uh, I really kind of felt like I was a good candidate for that because I sort of learned the swing on my own. I, I didn't really reach out for help. I probably should have. I could have probably rounded the learning curve quite a lot faster if I had really worked with someone on it, but I didn't. Uh, but but as a result, I really learned uh, the the deeper inner workings of the golf swing because I kind of worked my way through it on yeah. my own. Yeah. Um, when you were playing and winning some of these events, tell us a little bit about your game. What were some of the strengths of your game during those that period of time? Yeah, um, it's funny because I, I think a lot of like even Ben Hogan, I remember saying, you know, he could always hit the ball. He was always a good athlete, but it took him forever to to learn about the metal game. And and I can say the same is true for me. Um, you know, very similar. I, I felt like I was always a good athlete. I could always I always struck the ball well. Um, I, I feel like uh, one of my strengths uh, was was dr it's driving and putting. 
Now, it's so funny I say that as one of my strengths because ultimately in the end, it was the putting that kind of held me back from moving on. It was just trying to find a way to lip it in instead of lip it out, you know, um, and that's really what it comes down to in the end. You know, um, I, I got to a place with my putting where I would uh, I would give it a good run. It's just getting the ball in the hole a couple more times around and I could have moved on. Uh, but it, but in the end, that that's what it came down to for me. Did you did you come to a particular year or moment when you said, "I don't think I'm going to reach that next level in in your journey of being a professional golfer"? Yeah, I did. Uh, so it was 20, 2014, uh, I played a lot up here in New England. Actually, and I had a great year. I was invited to play in the New England Open. I didn't perform particularly well in the New England Open, but uh, it was quite an honor for me to to get invited to that after having such a good solid season. Uh, but then the next year came out, uh, we, uh, we had been moving around a little bit, trying to find somewhere to, to live. We actually ended up living up near Camden, Maine. We have a place up there and, uh, I, I didn't have quite as good of a season and, 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 and somehow that kind of poked a hole in my confidence a little bit. I wasn't playing as much. I wasn't practicing as much. I wasn't signing up to play in as many tournaments. And that's when I started moving more into teaching. Um, I, I just started to get the feeling that, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really, I, I didn't really see myself moving on. You know, I, I remember um, I went and took a lesson, a putting lesson, actually, as kind of a last ditch effort as to to trying to get the ball in the hole, right? And um, it was with Jeff Seavey, who was the pro at that time, uh, up at, at uh, Samoset Resort up in Camden. And you know, uh, it, it was it was a good lesson, um, but my question was to him, like, how do I get it to lip in, man? That that's where I am. Like I, you know, if you can help me figure that part out, I I can move on. And you know, he actually had a good response. He said, you know, oftentimes we can just over try just a little too much. You know, you have a little bit too much pace on it. You want it just a little too much, and that just kind of, you know, it's sort of this uh, thing where you you sort of allow it to drop in. You don't really force it to drop in. And uh, and that made a lot of sense. But alas, I I still wasn't able to crack the code on on how to lip it in more times than lipping it out. Well. I'll, having played with you a, a decent number of times this year, I, I saw you make many putts. So, um. <laughs> yeah, you don't miss them all, of course. It's just yeah. uh, you know when you get to that next level, when you get to these upper levels, um, it's just so fractional the difference between making it and not making it. Um, the scoring averages, you know, how many people are just crammed into you know um, decimal levels. Like it's it really comes down. It's just so fractional the difference. So it, it really does come down to just making a couple more putts around on average and yeah. and you could you can move on. So you so around it sounds like about 2015 or so you begin to shift away more of your golf energy moves more into teaching at that time. That's correct. Yeah. I I you know here's the thing like com competition and playing tournament golf is in my blood. I mean my brother uh, still continues to, um, you know, encourage me to sign up for tournaments, and you know, he and he knows how to sing my song, you know, and on because he knows I just I'm itching to play. I want to play. Um, it's just making the right decision, you know. Like, is this is this really a viable direction going forward? Um, you know, and, and your perspective changes as, as well. You know, when when I go into tournaments uh, after that point, I really started thinking about it more as fun. Not not so much as in a destination with it, you know, like you know the PGA Tour or or the next level. I just kind of started going into it more with the idea of um, having more fun, um, you know, making the cut and and making the best of it. Yeah, that's a good attitude. Um, 
What do you enjoy? So you've been teaching for quite a while now. What do you enjoy about teaching? Well, it's just so rewarding, you know, uh, to, to help people learn and, and, and accomplish something that they didn't probably think they would really ever be able to do. You know, uh, I, I remember when I first started playing golf in my teens, um, I was fortunate enough to go play with a really good player. We just happened to be paired with a guy who was a pro at the time. And, uh, and I thought I was a pretty good athlete and he was pulling off shots that I, I could not do. I mean, and, and, and to me that, that kind of seemed like magic. I was like, wow, this guy is just a pure magician. Like, how is he doing this? Um, and so, uh, what I feel like, um, I, I do these days as, as an instructor is I, I feel like I'm teaching people magic. Nice. Nice. Um, let's talk. One of the questions I, I asked folks on the show is let's talk about what's in the bag. Uh, let's start at driver and, and go all the way down through putter about what you, you know, this past season, you know, what you've currently been hitting for club. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, so I have a very hodgepodge of, of clubs. In fact, I have to tell you some, I'm very slow to change. So, um, you know, without getting in deep into it, you know, I, I just have, I have a paying, uh, driver that I've hit, I've been hitting for a few years now that I love. I've uh, got a Drago shaft. I went down to club champion and got all fitted to the nines with it. Um, got a tailor made three wood, um, uh, got a Cobra hybrid. Um, what else? I've got a hot balls, you know, uh, uh, two iron, uh, that, that looks like it's just been dragged around the block. I, I remember playing a, a round last year with a guy and I pulled that thing out and he took a look at it. And he said, where the heck did you get that club garage sale? Like <laughs> it really looks like that. Um, you know, I've got the, the Titleist irons and, uh, Titleist wedges. And, um, I do have a tailor-made putter that I, I really like, you know, I had, I, I played with a pink putter forever, but, um, I, I feel like I can really putt with anything. I, I know people really love, you know, sp special putters, but I've never really had, um, any special, you know, loyalty to any brand necessarily. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. um, what degree wedges do you play? So I have a 56 degree, a uh, 52 degree, and then my pitching wedge is a 48. I still have the traditional lofts on, on my clubs. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I did away with the 60 degree a long time ago. When I, when I guess when I realized that, you know, I can take my 56 degree and open it up just a little bit. And now I've got a 60 degree. Yeah. So I kind of thought, you know, well, I can just take the 60 out of the bag and, and make a 60 degree out of my 56 if and when I need to. Yeah. And do you, are you partial to a particular ball? You know, I do actually. Um, and again, it's one of those things, like, I feel like all the brands, uh, make uh, all the top brands make a great golf ball. They're, they're top, their best golf ball. Uh, but I, I'm usually partial to the pro B one X or the, or the pro B one, you know, um, Taylor made makes a great golf ball. Callaway makes a great top line ball, golf ball. Yeah. Um, and there are new companies coming out with, with good equipment all the time. So, yeah. Uh, I'm not opposed to playing another golf ball, but I do find myself, you know, kind of sort of sticking with Titleist. Yeah. Um, and do you mark your ball in any particular way over time? Do you sort of always default to a, a certain marking? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, it seems like I, over the years, I haven't really committed anything, but in recent years, it seems like I put a special pattern of dots around the numbers. Um, but not, not really, you know, uh, because when I'm marking my golf balls, when I pull out a sleeve, I try to mark them a little differently in case, you know, the next one I need has to look different. Yeah. Um, but no, not, not really, not especially. Okay. Uh, this next round I call gimmies. These are, uh, short little questions. 
Uh, do you have a favorite course in New Hampshire that you've played? Well, private course, I'm very partial to uh, Lake Winnipesaukee Golf Club. I just absolutely love that place. Um, I, I like it because everything is done to the nines very well. It's a very friendly golf course. It's a golf course I feel like I can go up and score well on and have fun. The conditions are always very nice. You know, Baker Hill was very nice. The golf club in New England, of course, is very great, you know, um, super challenging. Um, public golf courses, you know, I, I, I like Brentwood golf courses over in um, that 36 hole they, yep. over in Keene. I think they do a great job there. Um, you know, I do like the Oaks a lot. And uh, for another Seacoast golf course, I know it's not in New Hampshire, but I, I do like the ledges a lot. Yep. Yeah, good, good list. Uh, do you have a favorite club in your bag? Yeah, I would say it would be a tie for for first with with the driver and the putter. Okay, uh, I, I feel like I thrive with with those two. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel very confident with with both of them. Okay, uh, multiple choice. You can crush a driver, you can smoke a mid iron like a five iron, or you can drain a long putt. Which one of those do you love doing the most? I would say draining a long putt. I, I really do. I, I really get a kick out of that, you know, to, to see it going in from a long ways away. And just knowing you figured it all right, you've got the speed, you got the break. And yeah, I, I really do. I get, uh, I enjoy that. Nice. Um, do you watch much PGA or LPGA? Is there, are there a player or two right now that you really enjoy watching? Yeah. You know, I, um, I do keep one eye on it. I, I'm not stuck to the television on it. I, of course, I'm going to watch the final round of a major here and there of uh, men and women. Uh, but, you know, I, I catch it. I, I, I see it every once in a while. Um, there's a couple of players out there that I do like to follow. I, I like Victor Hovland a lot. I, I feel like he's just uh, he's got a very good on course demeanor. He's got a great game. And I think I feel like he out of the newer players, the newer generation of players, he exemplifies. Um, um, folks could could look to somebody as an example to aspire to be yeah one thing i I like victor as well one thing i appreciate about appreciate about him is he always seems to have a smile on his face he looks just happy playing golf and it's a good reminder this game can beat you up a lot which we'll get into but victor just seems to have a, a positive disposition when he's playing yeah, he really does. Again, you know, I saw him one time have, go through a chipping disaster. He was like kind of back and forth across the green, and he handled that with such class and dignity and grace. And uh, yeah, I, I just felt like he's a very good example as someone to look to as as a, as a way to how to roll with it. Yeah, you know, in in the moment. Um, and last question here in the gimme section: Is there a course or two on your bucket list anywhere that you'd love to? play that you haven't been able to play yet well yeah i mean uh, pebble beach obviously is uh, i know that's that's a big one on a lot of people's bucket list and, and of course i played it on the simulators but haven't been there in real life I, I would love to play that and uh and and i can say i would love to get over and play the old course as well um i, I actually haven't had a chance to to get over there and play it late yet uh but um no it's definitely on the list yeah those are, those are two good ones um so we'll transition here into talking uh, about the mental part of golf. I first met you at the beginning of this golf season, I think back in March or April uh, or somewhere around there from, from Harvin. Uh, we, so we all play at the Oaks and, oh, and yeah. talking to Harvin, I think the beginning of the season, he, he had mentioned he had uh, 
taken some lessons from you. But one thing he noted about you was actually not so much about the lessons. And Harvin's a very elite, talented uh, golfer, but sure is. Le- le- less about the swing. But he talked, I think when he first brought you up, he talked about how much he enjoyed talking with you about the mental part of the game and how, you know, what we learn about ourselves when we play the game. And when, and when you and I met this season, again, we've gotten to play together a handful of times and I've taken some lessons with you and reflecting back on the season, I think we've spent much more time talking about the mental part of the game, who, you know, what we learned about ourselves more so than the technical pieces of the swing. And so what I'd like to do in part two of this episode is sort of do a deep dive with you about the mental part of the game. You know, as the golf season seems to be wrapping up here in New Hampshire uh, and people do, some people take time off, other people are looking for indoor sim golf, but people reflect on their season. They're getting excited already for the 2024 season. And I thought maybe we could have a discussion about some of the mental aspects of the game that might give people some food for thought to think about during the wintertime. How's that sound to you? Uh, that sounds fantastic. I'm happy to pass along as much as I can and and, and what time we have. So the, the mental part of golf, arguably for me, might be the hardest part of the game and also the sort of most enjoyable when you find that you can get in certain zones uh, f- for the game. And as you noted, it's a very complicated topic and we're just going to be able to scratch the surface here. But one way I was thinking we could think about this conversation is in reflecting on some things I've learned from you is sort of maybe in three parts. You know, the first part, you know, what are some things that golfers might be thinking about before they play? You know, maybe it's on the way to the course or the night before they're going to play the next day. Uh, And then I'd like to talk about uh, the mental part of the game when we're actually in the round playing, whether that be in a tournament or whether you're just playing a weekend game with your buddies. And then the third part, you know, the round is over, you're driving home, you're thinking about, you know, how the round went and what are some things and some questions and insights maybe that we could, uh, that golfers could be thinking about. Um, so let's start, let's start with the beginning. Um, you and I have had some good conversations about some things that you do, you know, as you're heading out to play golf and, you know, with the golf that you've played at the level and as you teach, what are some what are some things, some ideas you might have for golfers before they go play around a golf? Yeah, so you know, getting prepared for uh, tournament golf uh, is something that happens days ahead of, of your actual tournament day. Um, you know, getting properly hydrated, um, alkaline water is a very good way. If you can keep your body in an alkaline state, is a is a very good way to do that. Uh, you know, um, there are all different kinds of approaches and ways to prep your body to get ready to go. Obviously, stretching, you know, people talk about grounding, like grounding yourself, like barefoot to the grass. You know, you get a charge from the earth. I mean, all of these, there's just, it's endless ways you can prepare your body. Um, you know, meditating is a very powerful way. Oftentimes, um, you know, I think it's always, it's always a good idea to get a practice round or two in before, if you can, just to get uh, get your eyes on the place and, um you know, and then what I try to do is I'll, I'll med in my meditations. I'll play the round in my mind in advance, and this isn't somewhere where you're playing flawless golf. You're just trying to go through and you're you're trying to imagine, you know, keeping your emotions together and and, and hitting hitting solid shots, and 
seeing yourself, um, you know, in, in success mostly throughout the day. Um, but, uh, you know, even before, before that, you know, so, so I would say that, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with the nerves of it all, you know, and what I try to tell, what I try to tell myself, what, what I found is very effective for me is I tell myself, Scott, you're just playing another round of golf with another group of guys trying to downplay the enormity of it all. Uh, but there are some other things that, that you can do. Um, and I know you and I've had this conversation where like on my way to the golf course, I'll say out loud my intentions, like I'll voice my intentions out loud, what I'd like to have happen for the day and try to keep your expectations realistic, depending on where you are in your development. Oftentimes it's just, you know, um, again, just kind of keeping your expectations uh, realistic. I think in the conversations we've had about the pre-golf mindset, I think the big being more intentional about being positive, you know, that of, of thinking about and being thoughtful about, um, uh, just, a a hopeful, optimistic, realistic based on your ability, but showing up at the course with good, positive energy that you're going to play well that day, I, you know, looking back, I think sometimes I would do that. Other times I was giving it no thought or other times maybe I was lacking confidence and assumed I wasn't going to play well, but I think, I think showing up with a positive mindset that you're going to have a good day and that you're going to play well. And and what we've also talked about is just the gratitude of playing, right? Could be a gorgeous day. You're playing maybe with some good friends and sort of just getting into that positive place. For me, that was a big thing I worked on and I think was not every round, but more rounds this year, I felt that was a helpful mindset to get into. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and Harvin and I talked, we, we talked about this, you know, what trying to keep it at this basic, most simple level is, you know, it's really about having fun, staying lighthearted and giving your best. Because when you're on your way home, you don't want to be looking back and thinking about, well, I kind of didn't really give my best on that short putt and I missed it or what have you, um, you know, and, and trying to find a way to have fun out there. I know a lot of people like to use the word I, I grind. You know, and and I get that I I do, but if it's a grind out there, you know, you're probably not playing lightheartedly, and 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 it's not to say that you know all of us get tested in that way. It, it does feel a little grindy at times. Actually, wh where you really have fun with it is on the way home after a great day, right. you know, because while you're out there in the moment, it does feel like you're working hard at it. Sometimes yeah. too much, right? So you know, trying to be mindful of like not overthinking it, not over trying. And just going out there and giving your best effort, having fun and, and trying to stay lighthearted as possible. Yeah. Um, in terms of the mindset and, and frame of mind, when we're playing golf, again, whether you're playing in a tournament or just a casual round with your friends, you know, you see it all the time. I'm guilty of it, which is, you know, it's all, we play a hard game. You, like you don't, you, you more often than not are not pulling off the shots and executing the way you want or the way you know that you're able to. And so how we deal with frustration, how we deal with bad shots, how we deal with bad holes, like they're going to happen. It's a tough game. You're out there for three to four hours if you're playing 18 holes. And so this is leading into a question. So right, you're not going to execute everything the way you want. You're going to have some tough shots and bad holes. Um, one of the things we've talked about this year is, you know, staying really present. And that also means like letting go. So if you had a bad hole, how quickly can you let go of that bad hole so you can focus on 
the next shot. And t- tell me a little bit about how you approach that for yourself and when you're coaching people. Absolutely. So it's really about maintaining composure. You know, what we all want to avoid is that snowball effect. I mean, you can turn a bogey into a triple bogey awfully fast by just kind of losing composure, right? So that requires a certain amount of of emotional intelligence. You kind of have to know a little bit about how our emotions affect you, like what your triggers are, how to manage those in the moment. Uh, There are a lot of techniques you can kind of put in place to manage yourself while you're out there. That might be one of the biggest things I'm grateful for the to the game for is that it has shown me how to manage myself, not only on the golf course, but in life. Um, and so, you know, trying to stay composed out there as much as possible, you know, and, and finding a way to roll with challenging moments, you know, it kind of happened. You have to know before you go tee off that you're going to miss some shots today. And so think about in advance, how am I going to manage that in the moment when it comes up? I mean, we, as you know, it's a hard game and, and nobody rarely ever plays a flawless game. So, um, I remember, I want to say it was Walter Hagen used to say he, you know, he figured he was going to miss six or seven shots out there throughout the course of a round. And when he would miss one, he just kind of chalked it up as one of the six that it's, this is going to happen. So, um, you know, just, just try to prepare in advance for how you're going to feel when it happens, because it, it's going to happen, uh, inevitably. And, um, you know, right. Yeah. As, as much as, as, as quickly as possible, letting it go and moving on, um, easier said than done. For sure. But, you know, it's all about uh, trying to not follow a bad shot up with another good one, right? Like be fully present in the moment for the next shot as much as possible. And again, it's very it's very much easier said than done, but you can learn uh, how to do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, as you know, and as I shared uh, in a prior episode um in playing in the mid am I've really struggled with bunker shots all season. And so whether it be in my case, bunker shots this year or someone you're working with who you know, could be at someone's driver, right? We off someone, we often have some part of our game at a certain point in time that we're particularly weak or low confidence in. And so from take, to take my example, struggling in bunkers, um, part of what I, what I had to do this year when I would go to, wouldn't go out and play, was I had a sort of bunker avoidance strategy. So I had to take a course management approach to really just trying to stay out of the traps, you know, but you can only deal with, you know, at some point you're going to get in a trap. And so I guess my question is if a player is really struggling with a certain shot, could be a kind of chip shot, maybe it's their driver a certain day. um, What advice do you have for how a player, you know, again, back to the confidence, back to the mental piece of this, where they've got a part of their game that maybe they're working on, they're practicing, but they're out now playing and they've got to confront their weakness in their game while they're playing. What advice do you have for in those situations for golfers? You know, um, I, I think a lot of it is just having developing like a, a, an inner coach of encouragement. You know, um, it's almost kind of like your inner caddy, you might say. And uh, the, the best thing I can say is to um, just go through the process of the routine. Um, we've all been through our routines uh, a thousand times. Um, just stay committed to the process of the routine. Um, you know, I know oftentimes PGA Tour players, when they're standing in a moment and they're, con- and they're consulting with their caddy on, it, um, on, a, on a particular shot, you know, they're, they're trying to get as sure in the moment about pulling this shot off as possible. Uh, in other words, you don't want to go in into the shot feeling unsure. If, if you're walking into the ball and you feel unsure, you're, you're going to make an unsure attempt at it. 
Um, and so, you know, there are no guarantees that you're going to pull this shot off. I don't care how good you are, but you can give yourself the best possible chance that you might by, by just sticking to your routine and, and sticking to the process and, and trying to be as confident about it as, as possible, you know, sort of allow your practice and all your reps to sort of um, just a- allow it to happen. Try not to be forceful about it. Stay yep. relaxed handed. Yep. Nice. Um, sort of, all right. So post round, um, do you do anything, you know, again, even a casual round with, with friends or a more serious round, but you've, you've completed play, you're maybe driving back home or even, you know, maybe even, even it's the next day. Um, do you have any rituals or things that you do to reflect on, you know, how your round went, how you met, maybe your intentions, things that, there's always a list of things we could do better, a certain shot, but how do you approach thinking about your past play as a way to leverage insights to help improve future play? Yeah. You know, again, I, I actually very much use, um, so I'm, I'll always reflect back on a, on a golf round and, um, I, I try to discern whether or not some of the mistakes I made, was it just a misexecuted shot or was there a mental game mistake there? And and either way, I'll replay the round in my mind in a, in a mental uh, in a meditation, and I'll and I'll try to fix the places where I had messed up out there. Now, again, it's not you know that you're going to play a flawless round, but what you're trying to do is go back and relive that moment. Uh, and and basically, what, essentially, what you're doing is you're kind of creating another timeline where you went through the same motions, but you came out more successful. That way, you're not leaving that entire experience just one bad way. You know, you're leaving it. Um, you you've layered in another timeline and on top of that where you know now you're leaving uh you're leaving that experience in a good way um and so you can kind of take you can kind of take that with you forward yeah no i like that do you approach you know when for all the people you're coaching you've got some elite players like harvin then you've got a you know beginner golfers um how do you as a as a golf coach and teacher how do you think about how you approach the topic of the mental side of golf, in addition to technical things about, you know, a golf swing, how do you approach and think about that with the broad range of, of students that you're seeing that you're coaching and teaching? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there, um, when I get together with someone for a golf lesson, as you know, one of the questions, the very first questions is what is your objective? Like, what is your, what are your goals with the game? And you get a wide variety of, of, of answers with this. Some people want to be tournament players. Some people just want to be a single-digit handicapper. Some people want to win the club championship. Um, some people want to break 90 or 100. And some people just want to be good enough to have fun. Uh, but just like there are fundamentals to the mechanics of the golf swing, there are fundamentals to the mental game. And so there are things that will apply to all of us. And then there are things that would, you know, you can take a deeper dive with the tournaments on, on some of the things that, you know, you'll need to, to, to manage yourself on in a tournament situation versus someone who's just wanting to be out there uh, to, to have fun and, and play well. But, you know, I would, I would uh, say that I kind of break it down fundamentally into five categories of the, the, uh, what I focus on for, this is kind of where you, you know, a little bit of a deeper dive here um, of the mental game. And, and number one, you know, we all know that you have to have a good attitude for the most part, you know, it, as much as possible. It's uh, ideally you'd be in the same mindset um, all day that that you are when you show up to the golf course. You show up to the golf course. You're you're happy. You're hopeful for a good day. You know you're chipper. 
Um, and, 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 you know, just, just looking forward to it, to a good day. You're even par, which, which is nice before you've gone and teed off, which yep. is always good. Um, but you know, um, even, even beyond that, you know, I've, I've shared this with, uh, some of the competitors and, and, um, you know, I kind of have this four mindset levels that kind of go under the category, a subcategory of having a good a- attitude and having a good attitude again is about having understanding emotional intelligence. Like again, knowing what, uh, what you, your reflex responses are and your triggers to moments and, uh, and how to manage those moments when you need that. But, uh, you know, level number one, uh, mindset level number one is is just that, you know, trying to stay in a good attitude. Hopefully this is the mindset that you're in for the most most of the day. But given that we're all innately emotional beings, we're all going to be tested, right? So um, level one, of course, is where, you know, there's a space for um, a, a place to find the zone. You know, you're, you're in a good place uh, mentally, good place attitude wise. Um, things are going well. Um, again, you're in that lighthearted, you know, having fun um giving your best kind of kind of uh, way then there's a uh, level number two mindset level number two and again you know this is where you kind of take a dip uh it, you know down a little bit where let's say you just missed a short putt and you'll even see pga tour players kind of dip into level two sometimes because again you, you kind of have to give your space yourself some space to to be an emotional being right uh so you know pga tour players they miss a short putt and they might walk by and flip their putter down on their back or, you know, that you can see them give off an emotional expression of some small way, but right away they'll pull themselves back up into level one because they know that this that's the place that you're most likely to to execute from, right? Um, and and you know, you don't want to stay in mindset level number two for very long because number one, it's really hard to find the zone from mindset level number two. Uh, and and also uh if you stay there very long, it's a slippery slope into mindset level number three, okay. Now, number three is where, you know, and everybody kind of is a little bit different in this one, but some people get quiet or or um, they'll like maybe hit two or three, four bad shots in a row and they'll just pick up their bag and walk off. And you may not hear from them again on that hole or maybe for the rest of the round, you know, right. um, you know, they're verbally, they're, they're very physically distressed, um, yeah. you know, um, there's a, and, and some people get kind of down on themselves, like kind of Eeyore, I always like, I usually like to say, you know, so everybody kind of responds in a different way. In fact, I can tell you, um, I, I feel like Tiger Woods spent some time in, in, in level three, um, probably more than he should. Now, obviously, he's the greatest ever, right? So he's able to find a way to manage his way through it. Uh, but uh, yeah, level three isn't isn't a place that you know you, you really want to be. And of course, level four, now, now you're off the deep end. Now that's like throwing clubs, breaking clubs, you know, cursing F-bombs. I mean, you're just way out of line, right? And, and maybe we've all been there at some time, you know, uh, at some point in our lives. I know I certainly have way back in the day. And again, this is why I say I'm grateful to the game for for helping me learn how to manage myself in, in golf and in life. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, your overall attitude is one of the areas that I focus on in the mindset levels, just being, just having self-awareness uh, of where you stand at any given moment. Um, the second one is focus, you know, your ability to focus out there, you know, to, to play consistent golf, we have to think consistently. And that's what pre-shot routines are for. You know, you groove a pre-shot routine and you stay committed to it and you're kind of going through the process of, of, the, of, of the routine. That's your 30-second bubble of time to block everything out and go through the process of the routine. And by the way, you're in the present moment oftentimes. You know, um, you're, you're not as self-conscious of people standing around and, and uh, watching you, um, those kinds of things. So focus, it's, focus is a big one. 
Um, the third one is course management. Course management is definitely part of the metal game. I mean, just um, uh, just just you know, hitting the shot that's required by the golf course according to your skill level. Um, and so, you know, all of us can be tempted to pick up the three wood on a par five, you know, and, and want to take a swing at it. Right. But, uh, you have to really think about what are my execution ratios with that three wood? You know, am I, am I, do I, do I execute seven, eight times out of 10? If you do, well, then maybe you could, you could hit it. But if your execution ratios are low, maybe you're like two, three, four times out of 10, maybe you should rethink this, maybe just knock it down to the hundred, you know, and, and kind of play it that way. Um, and that goes for any other shots where you're trying to trip out of the trees, you're trying to go high or go low or find a window or any of that. You know, oftentimes you, you're better off just kind of taking your medicine and, and, being, and being smart about it. Yeah. Uh, the fourth part of the mental game I focus on is confidence. And really, in a nutshell, confidence is just a byproduct of practicing and playing. You know, you can be the most sure, confident, cocky person in the world. But if you haven't been playing and practicing, you're not going to walk into that ball feeling like, a ton of confidence in your ability to pull these shots off, right? Um, so, so confidence is is a big one. And the last one is, um, boy, this is a deep one. This is where you get into the metaphysical part of it and the quantum physics of it, right? And I, I'm not a quantum physicist, right? But I do understand uh, um, the meditation side of it is where you kind of get into the quantum reality side of it, right? But metaphysical side of it, in a nutshell, is uh, just being mindful of the things that you're thinking about and the things that you're saying out loud. Um, you can oftentimes plant a good or a bad seed on someone just by something you said out loud, whether you meant to or not, or someone else may have said something that you just heard and you, and you absorbed it and, and, and you see people whammy each other and help each other all the time. That's why, you know, on the PGA tour, um, oftentimes, you know, the, the player will say, well, I'm going to go with the six iron. Do you like that? And the caddy will say, I love it. That's all that player needs to hear. Now it's locked in. Now, right. now it's no longer up to the player so much as it is. You just got confirmation from the universe, which is your cat. He was a competent person who just said, I love it. Now you can walk into the ball with some freedom instead of you walking in, trying to make the decision on your own, thinking, well, I, I guess this is the club, or you're yeah. hoping for it, or you're wishing for it. So, um, yeah. That's great. Um, I've got two more questions, then we'll wrap up. Um, the first one is and you've you've mentioned this and i just want to press on it a little bit more which is you know golf for me and i think the older i get and the more i understand myself and i understand the game of golf uh in my relationship to it um i think i i think i'm able to pull more of what i'm what what do i learn out of golf that i'm able to apply to other parts of my life that have nothing to do with golf me as a person off the course you know, many things I could list. Um, but two, I would just mention, and I want to ask you the same question. So I would, I would mention the role of confidence and the role of perseverance and how through golf and the challenges we, I face, have faced in golf, what I've learned about myself, uh, on the golf course, um, has really helped, I think from in different parts of my life outside of playing golf. And I, I guess, you know, I want to ask you, you've played at some very, elite levels and you've been uh teaching for for quite a while what would you say for yourself that you've learned about yourself through the game of golf that's helped you in other parts of your life yeah great question so i felt like i've always have been a very patient person especially with others but not not so much with myself so you know learning how to be more patient with myself um 
and and loving myself you know like i i know we're all self-critics you know a lot of people are but uh you know uh, it's sort of like you know how the the world has a way of rounding off your rough edges well well golf has done that for me um uh, you know and 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 especially in my treatment of myself you know like yes absolutely there's a lot of le- there are a lot of lessons with uh, perseverance and resilience uh, but for me, it, you know, it was more about learning how to have more patience with myself and learning how to love myself, even through the bad times. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, it's just very, um, very over, overly critical um, needlessly, you know. And so um, and it's really it has it's helped me in life as well yeah. on, on how to manage how to manage that side of myself. I've uh like I said, Ben, um, I'm I'm great with other people, but when it comes to me managing myself in those ways, I've come a long way, um, and I feel like there's always something to be learned with the game, right? I mean, even going for different stages of your life as you grow and evolve as a person. Uh, but yes, yeah, it's it's really coming down to those couple things. Super, that's powerful. Um, the last question I ask people uh, on the show is. You know, the game of golf has got this odd power to to suck us in. And you mentioned, you know, you didn't play a whole whole bunch as a as a kid, but once you sort of got the golf bug in your early twenties, like it it drags us in. And and for most people, it doesn't let it go. We just sort of the the addiction and obsession with this game keeps us going. And so, golf has been a huge part of your life, and it's it's your profession. So, what is it? for you about the game of golf that you love so much? Yeah, really. Um, so for me, originally, it was uh, really just the challenge of the game. You know, again, I, I saw myself as someone who was a good athlete and 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 I really struggled with the game. And so it was almost like this inner challenge um, to, to sort of, um, I guess, kind of conquer the game. Um, and 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 it's such a deep game there. You've got 14 clubs and a thousand different scenarios out there. So there are so many different uh, places you find yourself in where you have to manage different shots and manage yourself. And, and, um, and so for me, it was originally the, uh, the, the challenge of the game, but you know, as I get older, I really find that the game of golf offers us so much. Um, there's, there's really a fountain of youth component to it. When you think about, you know, how you go out and you're able to walk. I mean, if you walk an 18 hole round, you're walking five or six miles. So, um, you know, that, that kind of keeps your body moving, keeps you going. Um, you've got some good scenery out there. I mean, it's like you're walking through a well-manicured garden almost. You know, you've got nature, you know, some fresh air. You're able to bond with family and friends and colleagues. So you've got the social component to it. And, and I think it is good for us to have something challenging in our lives. I mean, if it's not golf, you know, maybe it's something else for you. But, but I do think it's good for us to have, have something challenging in our lives. And, and golf is such a massive puzzle that you're piecing together over time because you have so many different uh, components with driving and irons and chipping and putting and sand shots. And then you got different lives above your feet, below your feet. And so it, it's just a giant puzzle that you're piecing together over time. And, and what's kind of nice about golf is that you can play forever, you know, so long as you stay in relatively good health and, you know, you can carry a handicap and it's just a fun way to keep moving. Yeah. Well, wow. good answer. Well, Scott, it was great to meet you this year. Uh, you are a highlight of my golf season, and I, I uh, likewise, I appreciate you coming on the show today and and sharing your insights, which hopefully uh, people will find helpful as we go through the winter. And look forward to teeing up again with you next year. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. It's been a, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. 
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Granite State Golfers is produced by Dew Sweeper Productions. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review and share it with your friends. Until next time, tee it up, have fun, and LGLG. LG.